Hello, and welcome to the BNP Paribas Asset Management Talking Heads podcast. Every week, Talking Heads will bring you in-depth insights and analysis on the topics that really matter to investors. In this episode, we'll be discussing behavioral finance. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and I'm joined by my colleague, Achilles Mosca, who, as it happens, is a teacher of behavioral finance. Welcome, Achilles, and thanks for joining me. Thanks, Daniel. Well, I'm going to start out with a fairly basic question, Achilles, if you don't mind. What exactly is behavioral finance and how can it be used to improve investment decisions? Right. To answer that properly, we need to take in consideration that the traditional, let's call it this way, economic theory has one main assumption regarding the behavior of investors, of economic agents overall, which is that we are all rational. Meaning, in a nutshell, that we use all the information available, public and private, to take the best decisions to ourselves. And interaction of these rational beings that use all the information to take the best decision leads to the conclusion that the markets are efficient. What behavioral finance brings to the table by the research done by Amos Tversky, Daniel Kahneman in, in early 1980s, is the fact that not all decisions that we take are fully rational. On the contrary. When we look at the actual decisions that people make, there is not evidence of irrationality, but it looks that it's more realistic to work with the assumption of limited rationality. And this limitation in rationality comes from a series of behavioral trends. Most of them are unconscious, innate. Some come from hundreds of thousands of years of evolution of the human brain. And, and that's, it's very hard to, to fight against them. So behavioral finance comes to with this proposition. Let's work with the assumption of limited rationality. Let's understand from where this limitation comes from, and let's use that to take better decisions. If we then start with that assumption, or these modified assumptions, if you will, can behavioral finance then help us understand better the dynamics of complex market movements and trends? Right. So then we are coming in the field of applied behavioral finance, and the answer is yes. And let's take the extreme example of, for instance, speculative bubbles or market crashes. This is directly related to understanding the dynamics of herd behavior, right? So there's already a lot of literature covering the factors that are behind the creation of a herd behavior, the maintenance of a herd behavior, which in, in a bull market may create a bubble and in a bear market may create a crash. So, for instance, we know that we like to act in accordance with other people. This, we feel good. If you were in here in a movie theater or in an auditorium and we look around, we'll see we're all dressed more or less like the same. We like to fit in. So this is the first element of herd behavior. The second one is what Stanley Milgram, the psychologist from the University of Chicago, called the social consensus, right? He, he came to that conclusion when he put one single guy looking at the sky in front of Lake Michigan. When he did that, only 5% of people stopped to see what this was looking at. It was just gazing at the clouds. But then he increased the number of people looking at clouds. When he put 20 or more people looking at the clouds, doing no pressure at all for people to look at, also look at the clouds, then 80% of people started to also look at the clouds. So this is the concept of social consensus. The higher the number of people doing something, the more we think there is a good reason for that. This is the second element behind the herd behavior. The second one is if things go wrong, we don't like to be alone. So the group, the herd, gives a sense of protection when things go wrong. This is the third element. And the last one is the fear of missing out. We don't want to 
to be to be left behind. We want to be together, even if things go wrong, at least we are not alone. So this is just an example of a well-mapped behavioral trend that forms and sustains herd movements that may create a bubble, for instance, in a bull market, may create a crash in a, in a, in a bear market. So yes, behavioral finance can help explain, comprehend, and hopefully avoid the bad consequences that such movements may cause. So you've highlighted some of the negative events that you can see in markets, like like bubbles and, and crashes that tend to follow bubbles. Are all the behavioral biases that we have negative for mm-hmm. investment decisions, or are there examples of biases that can make us come to better investment right. decisions? That, that, that's a very common notion of behavioral biases, and that they are all negative. There is one famous phrase that says that if God has a sadistic side, he used all of it when he created financial markets. That was for early behavioral finance, when we were always looking at behavioral biases as something negative, and most of them are. I would say 90% of behavioral biases may compromise a good investment decision, good financial management, not only covering investments, but personal finance overall. More recently, a group of professors has been working on how to use those same biases to protect investors. For instance, in 2021, it came out one paper from from a group of Indian and German researchers that showed that we can use, for instance, two behavioral biases, the endowment effect and the IKEA effect, to profit investors. The endowment effect is the fact if I need to sell something that I own, I have a tendency to try to charge a lot. So if I have a car that is worth 100,000, but simply because it's mine and I take care of it, I want 105,000 to sell it. We put an extra premium because it's ours. This is the endowment effect. This is something natural. It happens all the time, especially with real estate. The IKEA effect, it's derived from the endowment effect. And it comes from the fact that sometimes when we put our energy, our time to develop something, like IKEA furniture that you need to build yourself, you tend to even add an extra value to that, right? So what these researchers have done with investors is say, okay, Let's try to use it to the benefit of investors. And they they compared people who only accept and execute an investment recommendation with people that participate with their investment advisors on the construction of their portfolios. These people who were much more involved with building their portfolios when compared to those who simply executed an investment recommendation, they tend to keep a more diversified portfolio. When a downturn comes, they do not reduce their riskier asset positions as much as the others, so they keep a more diversified portfolio a long time. This has resulted for these people who got more involved, so who used the endowment effect and the IKEA effect to their benefit, a more diversified portfolio. They had better returns adjusted to risk a long time, looking at horizons of between one and three years. So yes, some of the biases can be used um, to benefit investors. They're not only negative. Very interesting. Achilles, if I can summarize some of the key points that you shared with us, you pointed out that traditionally we have the assumption that investors are rational and that markets are efficient, uh, though I think we also suspect that reality is a bit different. Uh, And instead uh, of assuming that, now it's not that we should then assume that everyone is irrational, that's probably going too far in the other direction, but you said the assumption really should be limited rationality. Then if we think about how that can be applied to understanding the market, 
uh, it helps to explain why, for example, we get market bubbles, which we would uh, understandably all like to avoid if we could. And finally, you pointed out that actually not all behavioral biases are negative. They can be used to our benefit. Uh, and one conclusion was that it's better for portfolio returns if people are involved in the investment decisions that they take with their advisors. Well, Achilles, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week's episode of Talking Heads. If you would like more information, please reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact or check out Viewpoint our website for investment insights at viewpoint.bnpparibas-am.com. Viewpoint brings commentary and analysis in a variety of formats, from investment outlooks to asset allocation videos and podcasts to help investors make exactly this, better informed decisions. You've been listening to the BNP Paribas Asset Management Talking Heads podcast with me, Daniel Morris and Achilles Mosca. Please do join me next week. Until then, take care. This presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BNP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.